Welcome to My Life Chassidah Supplied, episode 396. This program is in merit of Baruch ben Yomin ben Menucha Lena and Miriam Baschaya Sara Altois, Yukasil ben Leia Rochel and Rochel Bas Liba Farkash, dedicated by Pinchas Todras ben Miriam and Sara Bas Rochel Altois. So we are winding down the last days of the month of Oder Sheni, the second Oder this year, which is a leap year, and therefore the joy is a double joy, two months of Oder, and that will in turn lead us mismach gula legula from the redemption and the joy of Purim going directly into the redemption and joy of Passover. So it's an excellent and auspicious time for joy, where the channels are open for blessings, celebrations, and joyous occasions. And may that be the case for everybody everywhere in this world. The people, both in Eretz Yisrael, which unfortunately has not had another terrorist attack, and people um, in different parts of the world, including Ukraine, may they be able to bless everybody just with peaceful, joyous occasions in a Batev Hanidav in a revealed manner. Every day in other we increase in joy, so it only grows. And as I said, we go from that straight into the next month, which is called the Chodesh HaGeula, the month of redemption, the month of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, the month of Passover. So what we to do, as we usually do, we will discuss this particular week is the week of Pasha Sazria, the book of Leviticus, the book of Vayikra. The fourth chapter is Vayikra Tzav Shmini Sazria, and it's also going to be this coming Shabbos, Parshas HaChodesh, the fourth of the special readings that we read when we go from Parshas Shkolim, Zocher, Pora, and then HaChodesh, where we talk about the, the, when God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, HaChodesh HaZelachem, this is the new month that will be to you, the head of all the months, the month of your redemption. So we'll talk about that, as well as other related topics, including the 25th of Adar, which is tomorrow, the birthday of the Rebbe Tzachayim Mushka, and as well as other topics, uh, some follow-ups and some connected to the events of our time, uh, including um, the events in Ukraine, as well as other events happening, and all in the context of Chassidus applied, applying it all according to Chassidus to our personal, psychological, and emotional lives. So I'd like to begin with a, a nice little note I received among many, but it's always good to um, appreciate people's appreciation. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I love your Sunday night program because it's the perfect balance of Torah analysis of the Parsha of the week, along with current events that are newsworthy and important to the community, and explanations of chassidus. I enjoy, I, I enjoy how you take a dozen random questions and weave them into an essay that is relevant and thought-provoking and insightful. Thank you, and keep up the good work. If I, if I can please make a request that during each program, when you discuss the weekly parsha, you also give a short synopsis of a sikha the Rebbe said on that parsha. Thank you. Okay. So with that, I appreciate your words, and with that, let us go straight into some questions on this week's chapter in the Torah. Living with the Times, as I said, it's a chapter, Tazriya, which often in a regular year, not a leap year, it's read together with Mitzayra, but this year we read it separately, Tazriya, Ishi which is when a woman will give birth, the Yolda Zohar, when a woman will conceive and give birth, 
That's the name of the chapter, Sazria Conceive. And also, Pashas HaChodesh, they said the fourth of the four, the, of the Dal Pashas that we read, HaChodesh, the Shabbos, that either blesses the new moon of uh, the, the blesses uh, Nisan, or as in this year, is actually Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The beginning of Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the, the new month of Nisan, of the month of Geula Redemption. Is there a lesson we can learn from people with, well, I'm sorry, let's begin with a question before that. What lessons do we learn from the weeks, this week's Torah chapters? So interestingly, the Rebbe, with one, one of the classic approaches that he would always talk about the name of a chapter and connect it to the other events of this week, in this case, HaChodesh. The truth is HaChodesh and Sazriya have something very much in common, if you give it a little thought. Both talk about conceiving. Sazriya means to conceive a child, and HaChodesh is the conception of the new moon, the birth of the new moon. So they both talk about a birthing, and a birthing always indicates something new, whether it's a human being, a child, or it's the birthing of the new moon, that we, are, we Jewish, the Jewish people, are compared to the moon, that we too will be renewed. The moon is symbolic of the birthing of the Jewish people in general, and each one of us is just specifically. And that's why, when Hashem, God, speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu, Pasha is boy, and that's where the chapter HaChedesh comes from. What does he tell him? He says, come, look, says, look, HaChedesh HaZeh Lachem, She points and says, I will show you. This is how you bless a new moon. The new moon is what will, will symbolize the new renewal, and it's in this new month, in this new moon, this is the first time that the new moon is sanctified, you shall sanctify the months, and this is the first month of the months of the year, which is Nisan, will be two, week, two weeks from now will be your redemption, which is also renewal. The word chaydesh, the very word for the word month, comes from the word chidush, renewal. And Yishak a woman when she conceives and will give birth to a new child. So it's all referring to renewal, in this context, the renewal of redemption, a renewal, a renewed state of being, instead of being in a state of bondage and enslavement, and in all the other elements that, that Mitzrayim comprise of, the limits, the constraints, the fears, and the insecurities, we will experience a renewal. So this week we have particular strength that no matter what you're going through life, know that you have the power and the capacity, and we look at the moon, and it gives us strength to become renewed and actually birth something new. And very often a birthing will come, not only very often, always will come after there has been some type of diminishment. You can't have a new moon if the moon first, and does, first doesn't disappear. You can't have something new before the old passes on. So it's a form of a transition from a previous paradigm to a new paradigm. And that's both a blessing and a, a sinuskeach, the strength that we get from this period of time when we transition, when we go into the new month of Nisan. So not only is it the new moon in general, but it's the new, month of, the new moon of redemption, the ability to transcend and free and become and, and transcend all limitations and all the previous things that kept us and held us hostage. We all have our psychological, emotional fears, insecurities, inhibitions, constraints, and now we have the strength to get beyond them all. So this is something we need to contemplate upon, and here's an opportunity, an opportunity when people say, my life is not going very far, or I keep repeating the same thing, or the more things change, the more they stay the same comes this month, this week, Sazriya, and Nachid is both teaching us the message of renewal.
So there is, we are being renewed, and therefore the past, we have the capacity to get beyond the past. We're not victims of for circumstances, and we're not products of the past. We have the ability to accomplish something completely new. Think of it that way. Imagine the possibility to create something new. Tremendous lesson, because we often become creatures of habit, and we think, you know, once I've gone certain far, so certain I've gone so far in my life, there's no way I can really change things. It's not true. Every month we can change things, but especially in this month of Nissan, the new month, the new month of redemption. So now comes with some specific question. Is there a lesson we can learn from people with saras leprosy being forced to quarantine? Because it says the din, the law about saras is that when the leper has to then be quarantined and send mechutz lamachna outside of the camping, outside of the place where people were camping, to go outside of the camp, quarantined. Is the Torah telling us that quarantines are the right way to stop infectious diseases? Can we also apply this to COVID? So the answer is, there's definitely similarities. On a physical level, of course, quarantining was in order to protect others. As we remember in the beginning of COVID in 2020, the need to quarantine, the need to not be in touch, the social distancing and everything that came with it. But here there's an added dimension to it. Because the leprosy that the Torah is talking about is not just regular disease. It was a spiritual type of disease. And quarantine was also similar to the same idea, not to infect others. But it was also the idea of, of healing. That when you heal, sometimes you need to isolate yourself to be able to heal and not, be, not interact with others immediately. So there's definitely lessons to be learned of the idea of the chutz machna. So it was a form of isolation, isolation in order to bring healing. <clears throat> so, you know, hopefully today we're already beyond that stage of quarantining with COVID. It's definitely far, far, a far cry from where it was. But lessons definitely can be learned. Just when, like when it says the first time that was a quarantine is again when the Jews, literally these weeks we, we, we read about it, and we learn about that when the Jews, when there was the plague of the firstborn, a plague, Makas Pcheris. So Moshe says, Moses says to the people, Ba'atem, do not leave your home till the morning because there's now a plague in the streets. There's, an, there's a vibe that is negative. It's toxic. And when it's toxic, it's important to stay, play low, so to speak, and stay insulated, stay immunized. So that's the general lesson that in general in life, at times we need to do that in order to protect ourselves and protect others primarily. But the goal is not to remain in a state like that, but to ultimately come out healthier and stronger and greater than ever. Okay. <clears throat> There's also the concept of, of, uh, of uh, sitting bodod, which means alone, separate, from chutzla machna, outside of the encampment where the people were, that there's a loneliness that can be a negative loneliness, like Echa Yoshva Bodod. Alas, that she, Jerusalem, sits alone. But there's also, Am Lebodod Yishken, you also have the concept of alone as being unique and special. So clearly, on one hand, we're talking about something that is, in a way, unique, but in a negative way, but it's meant to bring us to a level of place where we come to a place of aloneness and uniqueness that is also transcends the environment around us. Another question, why was it considered good luck if someone's house had leprosy? As it says in the Parsha, and Rashi brings, that when they enter the land of Israel, 
and there will be, it says that it will be a good tiding that the Jews will see that there's a leprosy in the homes. Remember, the leprosy was not just on human bodies, it could also be on their tents and their homes itself, on the walls. Now, what's the blessing in that? What's the underlying lesson here? So we actually have, Rashi says, because, because of the leprosy on the walls of the houses, that's where the, the Amaraim, which are the people, not the Amaraim, the Amorim, I should say, from the land of Amori in Canaan, that the people who had hidden treasures in the walls, because of the leprosy, they had to break down the walls. And they discovered these treasures. So in a sense, the leprosy was a source of blessing. But the question is, why did it have to be that way? So the Rebbe explains in a sikh, in a talk of his, more than one talk, that sometimes in order to find treasures, you have to go through something negative. We have some element of pain or suffering or setback, and then when you repair that and you heal from that, then you discover deeper treasures. The very exodus and, uh, and uh, the very exile and exodus in Egypt is testimony to that, where God says to Abraham that, they, yes, they will be in bondage, they will be servants in a land that is not their own, but and then they will leave with great treasures. So the same thing psychologically and emotionally, often when we have a situation where we have to deal with a leprosy, which can come from, as I said, it's a spiritual malady that can come from speaking evil about others, and the, that, that can also affect the walls of the very house. But when you heal from that, you discover deeper resources and deeper treasures, which is the lesson of transformation, finding more light in darkness than you can actually find even in light itself. Okay. Since we're already talking about Pasha, there was a little follow-up from last week's chapter, so I'd like to do that. Pasha Shmini, so we have the story of Nodav and Aviu, where they, in their excitement, they ran into the temple, to the Holy of Holies, and they ended up being burned by foreign fire. So here's a, some follow-up. We spoke about it last week, but I'll just follow up since some questions came in on this topic. Rabbi, how is it fair for Torah to seemingly be so opposite at times? For example, in this week's Chumash Rashi, Rashi in Perig Yud Posig Beis, that chapter 10, verse 2, gives reasons as to why Nadav and Aviu, the two sons of Aaron, were punished. And when one reads this, it seems it seemingly is negative. They were punished as a result of the few opinions that Rashi brings. They were drunk, or other opinions that Rashi brings. Seems like a negative thing that happened. Then comes Chassidus and brings out how it actually was in the sense of beautiful episode of tremendous love for Hashem that Nadav and Aviyu had. But even still, according to the first opinion of Rashi, it doesn't seem like there was anything positive to saying halacha in front of their teachers. Because one of the things is that they said halacha in front of their teachers. It was a form of a little defiance in front of their teacher. My question is in Nigla. My question is, in Nigla, thongs seem to be sad, scary, angry at times. Things seem to be sad, scary, and angry at times. And then it takes us to teach us deeper. Can we learn Nigla and just see goodness? Can we learn Chumash Rashi and conclude that Hashem is all good and loving? Or do we need Chassidus? So first of all, it's not just in Chassidus. When you read the story of Nadav and Aviyu, even though, yes, it appears in some ways that they were sinful, but when you read also, you also see that it says, Bekrevi Akadish. 
Moshe consoles of Aaron and says, but Kravi Akadis, that when I heard from Hashem that my close, one, my close ones will sanctify me, I thought it meant you and I, Moses, Moses and Aaron. And now we discover it's actually your sons that sanctified God's name. But Kravi Akadis, my close ones. So we see from this that Nadav and Aviyah were close to God. And the Orachayim indeed, which is Nachsidis, explains that they had this deep yearning and pining and longing and passion for godliness. And that's what ultimately caused them to run in and become consumed. And nowhere does it say it was a sin. Later, as a matter of fact, it says, two chapters from now, if you want to go into the Holy of Holies, here's how you have to go. In other words, before that, Nadav Avi were not told any rules or guidelines. So the mistake that they made was that they went in with so much passion they couldn't return. That's how Chassidus explains it. But to just make it some type of grave sin that they did, and then other Chassidus comes to explain the great mitzvah, the great the level of connection they had, it was interdependent. It was driven by their connection. However, they didn't have enough discipline to be able to bring it back and ground it and integrate it into their lives. And they burned out, literally. And after that, from now on, here's how to do it. So the goal is not to negate or weaken that passion. The goal is to harness it and channel it. And that's the ultimate explanation of this chapter, according to all opinions. It's not like a nigla, unliteral, it has one opinion, and then the premius comes to teach us a different opinion. But rather, the premius means the inner dimension of the nigla. This is the real reason. Why did they rush in? They weren't just plain... So a sin would be you want to go into the Holy of Holies for your own selfish purposes that has nothing to do with God here it was all driven by God but unfortunately it was a form of rotze, a yearning without the containment necessary to integrate it and that leads me to the next question where the person begins and concludes their note with I'm assuming following the Rebbe's guidelines back in Tovshin Mem Dalad, where he spoke about the, the, the need to, to, to increase in prayers, especially these two prayers, because the world, the conflicts that nations were battling with each other at the time. So the question is, dear Rabbi Jacobson, can you please elaborate on the Rebbe's famous sikha about the two sons of Aaron going into the Mishkan drunk and offering a strange fire? I heard it many years ago, but forgot the important details. And it would be nice to have a refresher. Thank you very much. Ach Tzadikimi concludes. Okay. Well, this famous sikh is the theme I just said. That the sons of Aaron, out of their deep love and passion, as the Urachaim explains, wanted to connect. It was the first time the temple, the first time the divine presence settled and dwelled in the temple. And they wanted to connect. What went wrong was that the Yerotse, the yearning, was too powerful and they did not return. But the driving force behind it was a tremendous one. So from now on, we have to do it in a way that's rotse and shuv. You yearn, but you need to return. You need to integrate it. That's a general explanation of what it meant that when they went and they offered a strange fire, a zora. It was strange because it was beyond the regular, and it was strange because they didn't integrate and internalize it. So that's the general gist of that story. And with that... Next question, which is connected to the four parshias that we mentioned. So we spoke about a chodesh as renewal, but it follows three others. So the question is, does Chassidus teach that there's a connection between the four parshias of Shkolim, Zohar, Pora, 
and Achedosh to the four worlds of Atzilus, Bri, Yitzir, and Asiya. So as I mentioned, there are four chapters, they go in that order. Starting from the blessing of the month of Adar, we bless Shkolim, which is the chapter about bringing the half coins, the Machsus HaShekel. Then the Parsha Machzocher, always before Purim, to remind us of Amalek. Then there's chapter Pura, which is cleansing. And there we know exactly that it is absolutely an introduction to Achodesh, but before you bring a Paschal lamb, before you bring the offering, you need to cleanse yourself. But the question here is asking, is there a connection between all four, and is it connected to Atzilus, Bri, Yitzir, and Asiya? So the connection to all four, I've heard a number of times the Rebbe would speak about it. There is a progression going on here. Shkolem is like charity. You begin by, you, have, you, you transgressed and you have different things that went wrong in your life. So the first thing you start with charity and knowing I'm only a humble half, just a half a coin. And the other half is either God's half or another person's half. And that half, that incomplete full coin, actually opens us up to blessings. That's the first step that a person feels half. They feel a bitl, they feel a certain element of humility. The second is eliminating any negative forces. Because you can, with all good intentions, but if the negative forces are dominating, they will continue to haunt you. So, eliminate anything that's negative. Haman, erase it completely. And then we go to the next stage, cleansing. We cleanse ourselves. It's not just erasing the negative, but cleansing ourselves to prepare us for finally for renewal, complete renewal. Now, I've not heard whether this corresponds to the four worlds, or lest I don't, or I don't remember. The Rebbe may have mentioned it. I, if someone knows, please let me know, and I'll share it with the public. But you could say that going through from the Asiya, from the lowest level, which is the level where you begin the world, begin a life where you live in a material world, a world that's filled with klippas and sitzer as the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya. We're filled with husks and negative energies, you could say that Shkolem goes from there and you can work your way up and Zohar would be connected to Bria, to Yitzira, and then um, Pora to Atzilus, to uh, Yitz- I'm sorry, to Bria. And finally, Achodesh, complete renewal, Chidush, would be Atzilus. You could probably say that, but I'm, I don't recall seeing it anywhere. Okay. S- the, now we're talking about Oder and Purim. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, since the Gemara says, from, the, from when other enters, we should increase in joy, should we still be, be increasing in Simcha for the few weeks after Purim while it's still Adar? Adar. Adar. Even though it might seem that Purim is the highlight of the Simcha, is there a concept that adding on Simcha after Purim connects the joy of other with, redemption, with the redemption and freedom of the month of Nisan? So it's a two part question. So first of all, yes, loud and clear, the Rebbe said it many times, and you say, means the whole month of Adar. It doesn't say Purim. So even though Purim is the driving force, but other Marbim you increase, and Mailam B'Kaidish, you increase every day. So even the days after Purim are supposed to increase in the joy even of Purim. Adalayada, that level of intoxication where you go completely transcend all structures, that's Bepuria, Purim. That doesn't say other. But when it comes to other, yes, we should be increasing all the way to the end of the month, and that catapults us into the next month of Nisan. And that, you could say, it connects. Because the more joy you have in other, 
the more it allows you to seamlessly flow, to flow into the next month and the, free, the redemption and freedom of the month of Nisan, which in many ways even greater than the redemption of the month of Purim, as we shall discuss in the next question, which was greater, the redemption of Purim to, or the redemption of Pesach. So as usual, each one has something the other doesn't have. The Rebbe would often ask the question when, that when you study the discourses in Chassidus of Passover, you hear our Passover is the greatest, greater than Shavuos, greater than Sukkot. When you study the discourses on Sukkot, it says Sukkot is the greatest, greater than Rosh Hashanah, greater than uh, Passover, and greater than Shavuos. And when, you disc- is the, when it comes Shavuos and you, dis- and you study the discourses of Shavuos, you hear that that's the greatest. So which one is it, says the Rebbe? And the answer is because these are living discourses. You live with the times. Each one's reflecting the events of that time. And that time, that's the gate, the shar, through which all the others elevate. So on Shavuos is the greatest of Shavuos, and Pesach the greatest of Pesach, and on Sukkot is the greatest of Sukkot. And the other discourses, or the other ideas of the other holidays, their themes elevate through that quality. So the same thing you can say when it comes to Purim and Pesach. Each one has something the other doesn't have. Purim, this, the miracles were hidden in nature. That's why you don't find God's name in the Megillah. You don't see any overt miracle like the parting of the sea or the ten plagues or the events that happened in Passover, during Passover, the events that happened in Egypt prior to Passover. So on one hand, the quality of that is that it's more, it permeates nature more. On the other hand, the downside is it's not so revealed. Pesach, it's revealed, Arenu. It's a, like Arenu Nefloi, it's like in the future. Revealed miracles, which has great quality. The downside, if you want to call that, not, I don't want to call it the downside, the part it doesn't have is it doesn't permeate nature quite the same way. So each one has a quality over the other. Ultimately, remember, Pesach is a divine sanctioned mitzvah in the Bible itself. Purim is not. Even though there's, there are laws that say we have to follow what the rabbi said, that's also part of written Torah, but it's still a secondary dimension in written Torah, where Passover is clearly the written. And that's why Passover is so fundamental in our search for happiness and freedom and transcendence. So that is the issue with the, the, with, um, the two redemptions. One more question in this regard of Adar and Purim. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you very much for your beautifully insightful broadcasts. I would like to add a thought on the topic of Adela Yada. We spoke about last week that one is supposed to be intoxicated on Purim to the point that he cannot distinguish between blessed is Mordechai and cursed is Haman. I read somewhere, I think it was in a letter by Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky, that we should know that we are not told to drink until we can't tell whether we are cursing or blessing Haman or Mordechai. No matter how drunk one is, the lines between good and evil may never be blurred. So what do we, what do we mean then that we should not distinguish between the two? The difference between Arur Haman and Baruch Mordechai is that one is Surmerah, denouncing evil, and the other is Asetev, upholding good. At some point, these two concepts merge as in, as in, as in the idea of al hain hain Lav hain They merge. <clears throat> which means that when the Jews heard the Ten Commandments and they heard, do this, they said, yes, we will do. Don't do this. So they were according to one opinion. They also said, yes, we won't do it. And that is the level of super rationality that we strive for on Purim. 
So it's not about actually the curse of Haman. It's the, the negative, that to avoid that. So the avoidance and the positive are all considered like one. So even though when you look at a positive mitzvah, you say yes, and when you look at a negative mitzvah, you also say yes. Because you see the yes, the divine will in each one of them. Okay, well, thank you for that. It's an additional explanation to the one we discussed. Another person writes about the special significance of this year. Dear Rabbi Jacobson Schlitten, I am a longtime participant of your program, and I am very thankful to Hashem that He restored your health enables, and enables you to continue your vital work of inspiring Klal Yisrael even more vigorously than before. Thank you, Amen. Thank you very much for that. I'm writing to you because Bashgacha Pratis, Divine Providence, last night my 16-year-old Zalman, my 16-year-old son Zalman, asked me what other years have the same kvirs as this year. In the Hebrew calendar, what are the years that has the same type of schedule? Meaning Passover will be on a Friday and Shabbos, going to Shabbos, meaning that Purim was on a Thursday or Rosh Hashanah is a certain day of the year. So what, what is similar to this year? He wanted to learn the Rebbe's sikhs that were set on the, year, the years that have the, that were set on the years that have the same kvirs as this year. So people like to study sometimes something that was a similar kvir, a similar schedule. So they then they study that same schedule so they can follow closely to the times as they are this year. So he's asking what's similar where, where are there similar scheduled years, Hebrew years, as it is this year, because every year is different due to the loner solar cycle discrepancies and other factors. So he says like this, I told him that often I don't know, however, if you look in the Siddur, before Birchus HaChedosh, in the Alter Rebbe Siddur, before the blessing of the new month, the Alter Rebbe discusses there, there the 14 different types of years, seven for regular years and seven for leap years, and once you know what type of year we are in now, you can, you can, re, you can easily figure out with the help of Google what other years have the same kvirs? So there's an actual formula. It's a formula developed by early sages that, that we can always use, even if we don't have an actual printed calendar, but using this formula, you can figure out where we're at as far as Shabbos goes. Okay. This year happens to be is Gachaz. Gachaz means Gimel Chav Zayin. It's an acronym to tell you quickly what type of schedule is this year. As Rosh Hashanah fell out on Tuesday, that's the Gimel, this year. And it's Kisidra. It's an, it's an orderly year, which means that the months of Cheshvan and Kislev go 29 and then 30. And they're not both 29, they're not both 30. And the first day of Pesach is going to be on Shabbos. That's the Zion. So Gimel Chav Zayin means Rosh Hashanah is on the third day. Chav is Kisidra. It's months that are, there are no extra days in the months. And the Zion is that the first day of Pesach will be on the Zion, the seventh day of the week. So then I googled what other years are Gimel Chav Zayin, and this is what I found. That, okay, that first of all, as a result of this schedule, this three, Gimel Chav Zayin, 
says there are therefore like this. Just reading the Hebrew and I'll translate. Okay. So he says, in the years, what years were similar to this year's schedule of, of Rosh Hashanah being Tuesday and Pesach being on Shabbos and its months that Cheshvan and Kislev are in order 2930? So he says like this. The year Tavshin Yud Aleph, that would be 1951. The year Tavshin Lamed Ches, 1978. The year Tavshin Nun Hey, that would be 1995. And Tavshin Pei is this year, the year which is 2022. There'll be future years. Hey Tav Tav Vav, Hey Tav Tav Tes, Hey Tav Tav Lamed Gimel, Hey Tav Tav Lamed Vav. But you see, in the last 80 years, one, two, three, you've only had four times this type of schedule. So it's a unique type of schedule. So the person continues and writes. Needless to say, that since Hetov Shin, the other years that are the same Kvias, are Tov Shin the year when the Rebbe accepted leadership formally, Tov Shin Ches, was on one hand a negative thing, the Rebbe had a heart attack, but then on Rosh Chodesh Kislev became a great holiday in Lubavitch. And the next year, Tav Shinun Hay is the year that followed the great darkness of Gimbal Tammuz. So now, since then, since the year of the Gimbal Tammuz, we never had a schedule like this. This year we have that schedule. So it follows this reason that this next year, after which, that which is this year, Tavshim Bebez will be the great Gili Ershal Izgalus Malkenu Mishachenu Tekuv Miyad Mamish. That in this order, he's suggesting, being that we have all these different events, this year will be an event that will counter the last one in 1995, and will have a tremendous revelation. Please feel free to share this insight with your vast audience if you so desire. Wishing you a kosher and felach Pesach with a longer blessing here from the Haggadah. Okay, so I've shared it, and thank you for that. But moving right along, moving right along, first of all, Rafur Shleim and Rabbi Jacobs. Let me just make sure I'm covering everything. Please provide perspective on the passing of Rab Chaim Kanievsky, Zechrena Levrochem. So first of all, for Shlem Rabbi Jacobs, and secondly, thank you for all your classes, for your respectful addressing of all questions and issues with sensitivity, knowledge, expertise, and wisdom. May Hashem bless you and your family with simcha and good health. A question. I was surprised that in last week's class, last night's class, you didn't mention the passing of Rab Chaim Kanievsky, Zechrena Levrocha's passing, a godladar. I always try to look for understanding, meaning, comfort. It is said that we, that he was born and died on the 15th of Adar, second Adar. People flocked to him from every group for his advice, wisdom, brachas, blessings. There is no one alive even close to him in this generation, Baruch Dayanamis. I appreciate your wisdom and comfort regarding this great loss to all Jews. Thank you for everything. Be well. 
Shefa Brochus to you and your family and to Klal Yisrael and to everyone. Okay. Yes, indeed. A great scholar was taken from us. A person, as I understand, was so immersed in studying Torah, completely didn't have one second of his own. And that's something very rare. I saw somewhere the schedule of how he began studying every day. How many minutes and how, many, how much time he dedicated. Both Shas and Medrash and Zayar and other Svarim, Shulchan Aruch, and Rambam. So you see something, something extraordinary. A person who took which means you shall immerse yourself and, and diligently immerse yourself in studying Torah day and night. A person like that definitely needs to be honored and respected for simply doing that which is considered to be the greatest mitzvah, Talmud Torah, Kenegat Kula. So I definitely acknowledge it and I think it's something that we should learn from. We should all learn lessons from that type of commitment and dedication. And um, I'm absolutely um, honored to be able to mention it here in this program, even though it is chassidus applied. I hope Rabbi Chaim also studied some chassidus. They say he did. But regardless, a person that was so immersed in Torah, as I said, must be honored and respected and celebrated. And may we truly be the best students of his would be by emulating that in complete dedication 24-7, a work that the Torah is your very work, so you're doing it all the time, of studying Torah on that caliber. And, um, and yes, so it is a loss, but also a lesson for each one of us. Okay. <clears throat> so let's do a little follow-up here um, on the Ukraine issue, the Ukraine war, which continues to rage, and I've discussed it in the last few weeks, last week and two weeks ago. So, dear Rabbi Jacobson, first of all, I would like to wish you complete health and well-being, and may we all merit that you continue in your holy shlichus for many happy, healthy, and successful decades to come. I've listened to your last two My Life Chassidus applied with keen interest. People seem distraught about what's happening in Ukraine. Aside from buying the mainstream narrative hook, line, and sinker, after years and years of hoaxes and false stories promulgated by the mainstream media, with no compunction, they seem destroyed that anti-Semites are killing one another. The Ukrainians have centuries, if not millennia of history, of the cruelest anti-Semitic butchery in their past, matched perhaps by the Russians. Did the Jews in the times of Haman cry when they killed the anti-Semites? Were we supposed to cry when Hashem killed Pharaoh and his miners? What am I missing? P.S. Mercy toward the cruel is, cruel is cruelty toward the mercy, merciful. And the fact that Zelensky happens to be Jewish doesn't say much to me. His wife isn't Jewish and his non-Jewish kids have been baptized. So he's the type of Jew the Goyim, the non-Jews, can like. Well, with all respect, um, yes, when people, anti-Semites kill each other and people who are barbaric, Nazis kill each other, you know, we don't celebrate because we cry even when Pare and his uh, and, and Pare's, the Egyptians were drowning in the sea. Why? We don't cry because we have compassion for them. We cry that human beings can stoop to such a low level. So, we don't even celebrate. Yes, we celebrate that we were redeemed and we sing praise, but with humility. This isn't about one-upmanship. That's number one. Number two, the attack in Ukraine is not just an attack on anti-Semites, by anti-Semites. It's an attack on men, women, and children, including Jews. 
indiscriminately. So to just say and dismiss that as if it's nothing, that's why there's outrage. Because unprovoked, attacking a country. Whatever reasons you have, and I'm not even getting into whether whose side, which side you want. It's not something that's done. Now, the fact that some anti-Semites and some real enemies of the Jews will be killed in this battle, okay. But that's not all the only thing that's going on right now. Now, Jewish communities have been disrupted, have been devastated, actually. Many had to run. Thank God the casualties are few. But nevertheless, this is not considered a blessing, exactly. So this isn't just about cleansing the country of anti-Semites. That would be the case. You just want to get rid of Nazis. It's one thing. As far as Mr. Zelensky goes, it doesn't matter. It's sad that he's married a non-Jew and has non-Jewish children, but he remains a Jew. So to just dismiss him in that way, I don't think that's appropriate. That's not a Torah approach. We can disagree with him, and respectfully so. But we can also agree with many things that he said. There's some things he said that we disagree with. He's not a, he's not a saint. He's not perfect. So these are some of my comments here on this topic here. Okay, here's a question connected to the war, but it really is a halacha question, but since someone asked, is it permissible to use a car and a phone on Shabbos during a war? Well, during a war, so then everything falls to the side. And if it's necessary for even the doubt of saving a life, you're allowed to use. But if you have any specific question regarding this, I would suggest you to go to your local rabbi and get a halachic decision on this matter. Okay. So that's the follow-up. Let me see here if there's anything else I want to cover in this topic. So a completely new topic, which I just uh, received recently, and I thought worthwhile. So I want to make a little hefsik. I'll make the break here, a little commercial break. We'll call it... Um, We'll call it the little housekeeping announcements. So this is this has been this is the program called My Life Chassidus Applied. We have an entire website called chassidusapplied.com, full of resources where you can watch all previous episodes. You can submit your anonymous question. Every question will, is is acceptable. Nothing's taboo. There may be some of them I'm a little behind because a lot of questions come in, and many other resources that you can see there, including the previous year's contests the essay contest, the creative contest, and different, and different um, sections that explain different discourses of Hasidus. So chassidusabli.com. So that's a little station identification. Now, with that, let's go to the next question, the new topic. How do I begin the process of growing through my trauma or growing through my difficult life? Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I'm writing to you because I know my father and my grandparents listen to you. I'm an 18-year-old girl. I grew up with my parents divorced. My parents were shluchim, but they divorced. My mother didn't remain from. She took me back to New York and then L.A., and we bounced back and forth between the coasts, the coasts almost every year. It got to the point where I left the suitcase packed underneath my bed. She fought my father so I barely got to see him. I didn't see him between 2013 and 2019, even once. Now that I'm 18, I'm an adult, but don't really feel like one. I know that I have had an unusual upbringing and one that must have caused me tremendous damage, but I don't know how to help myself. Right now, I'm not religious, although my dad, my stepmom, and her kids are. All my grandparents are too. How do I begin the process of figuring out what's what? 
I've thought of going to therapy, but that seems like it may be an endless journey. Okay, very legitimate question. And I'm glad you're asking. I feel honored. And my answer to you is, remember this. First of all, there's no such thing as a person that's damaged goods. I'm very saddened to hear about your life. I don't know all the details, but even the minimal that you write about is quite disturbing. But remember that just as things were taken from you, things can also be given back to you. And indeed, you have within you all the need, resources you need. First step, in my opinion, is you need to find one person. You don't need to call a therapist. You need to find one person, one friend, one mentor, someone you can speak to. Because you need to go through details here. If you'd like to reach out to me, please write to me. My email is simon at meaningfullife.com. You can feel free to call me, 917-496-3785. Text me or, or call me. And at the, depending on my time, I will definitely try to respond. But you must speak to someone. Talk about your story. Talk about where you're at. Like, I'd like to know, are you going to school? Are you working? Are there things in your life that are working out? What do you like to do? What are your passions? Because you need someone to help you get through the whole quagmire, as you put it, and start making sense of your life. That's a, the right age. 18 is the right age. You're old enough to be able to understand and to be able to make decisions. And you're young enough to be flexible and resilient to be able to find and shape your life. And why shouldn't you have a fully happy life? Why shouldn't you build the best possible life? So you have to find the right type of individuals that you trust. If you can find one right now, that would be the best thing of all. And just have a conversation. That's how I would begin. And take it from there. So I hope that was helpful to some extent. Okay. There was another topic that we discussed before I took the break a while back. So I was talking at length about the issues of sexual abuse and its after effects and its silence and the cover-ups. So there's a follow-up to a follow-up. Talking there was about a certain episode that I read on, on this program. Someone who wrote about being molested in camp, in summer camp. And there were follow-ups upon those follow-ups. I want to just conclude, just tie this up, by reading the letter from the original person who was hurt and violated. And he writes like this, about reporting abuse, sexual abuse to the police. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, two weeks ago you read an anonymous letter I wrote describing an incident where I was molested in a summer camp 40 years ago and the staff of the camp didn't help me when I reported it to them. And in the aftermath, I was kicked out of camp for repeating the story publicly in front of the entire camp when I was told I was not allowed to because it was Lushan Hara. Slander, evil talk about another person, negative talk about another person. Last week, and this means last week means uh, five weeks ago, you, you read a com comment from another viewing saying, of another viewer saying, I should report the incident to the police. I would like the opportunity to respond to that commenter. Forty years ago, when I was 11 years old, I was not even aware I had the option to call the police. The thought didn't even enter my mind. Several years after the incident that happened to me, I did find out the identity of the perpetrator, but at the time, but at the time I was a teenager, and at the time I still had communal tunnel vision, and my thought processes weren't fully developed yet, and the idea of reporting it to the police didn't enter my mind. Now as an adult, I think completely differently. In my case, I don't think anything could be reported 40 years later, 
because of a statute of limitations. And because the perpetrator lives in Israel, and the Canadian authorities probably have no jurisdiction there. But I do strongly suggest for perpetrators of current cases to be reported to the police. There has to be consequences for these terrible crimes. And the thought that these types of crimes are no longer being covered up like they were in the past, and that they will re be reported to the police should, be also, should also hopefully act as a deterrent to those thinking about abusing someone. The message from the community should be loud and clear. If you harm a child and there's clear evidence that you did it, you will be reported to the police and you will, you will sit in prison and suffer the consequences of your actions. And it will not be a vacation or fun experience in prison. Other prisoners despise those who harm children and make life in prison as difficult as possible for perverts. And as Rabbi Jacobson has said over the past few weeks to those who have had the thought of harming a child, please seek help. It is obviously embarrassing to admit this type of problem to a therapist or a rabbi or a, phone or a police officer, but it will be much more embarrassing to be arrested and sit in prison. Please seek help. Help is available. People in the community will be happy to help you in order to keep you and your, our children safe. And I want to finish off writing about a bad experience with a positive note. I once heard the Satman Rebbe Rabbi Yale said that those who survived the Holocaust are on a very high level because of the suffering they went through and therefore, have, and therefore have the power to give brachas. If that's the case, I would like to add my own personal thoughts and say children that were abused also suffered a lot and should also have the power to give brachas. So as a victim, I would like to give the following brachas to the community. May it be Hashem's will, God's will. And may Hashem bless us that anyone who was hurt has the opportunity to heal. May anyone thinking of abusing someone have the opportunity to get help before harming someone. May Hashem bless anyone having difficulty finding a shidduch, a, a, a match, to find their bashet right away with no obstacles. May any couple having difficulties having children be blessed with healthy children in a safe, loving environment and have an abundant, and have abundant parnasa. May the same Hashem who created the world, ex nihilo, from nothing, and split the sea of reeds, give us back our Rebbe in a physical body. I miss the Rebbe so much, and his wisdom and charisma could help us navigate through any problems that arise. Obviously, as we understand the physics of Gimel Tamas, in order for that to happen, first Mashiach would have to come along with the resurrection. So I bless the entire community that we have the ability and opportunity to increase in acts of goodness and kindness, to tip the scales and make Hashem send Mashiach faster. I ask that anyone listening to this being read by Rabbi Jacobson, please put a coin in its docker box right now to make a keli for this bracha, a container for this bracha. Thank you and may the joy of two months of other rain many additional revealed blessings to everyone individually and collectively. Amen and thank you so much for that. I don't have much to comment that speaks for itself but I appreciate the opportunity to use this platform for sharing your thoughts. And I want this to be also an example and a lesson for others. Please never hesitate to write to me. It'll be completely anonymous, but you can never imagine what kind of strength you may give someone else. How many people who are right now hiding in fear and shame and guilt. And when they hear something like this, maybe we'll open up to someone. And that begins the healing process. This is the great gift, and this is why I believe this program is worth it and I put all the effort in doing this because it's here to help us help each other. It's helped us save lives. And part of it is being able to speak. So, I, so I'm blessed and I'm honored and I feel humbled 
to be able to be a mouthpiece for those that don't yet have the courage to speak. So please speak up, write, communicate, and I will share, just as I just did this letter. And again, it's my greatest honor to do so. So we'll conclude as we customarily do with a question of Siddhis. Actually chose this question because it overlaps with another program that I began doing around a year ago, which is Chassidus Applied, Tanya Applied. Every Mitzvah Shabbos, every Saturday night, 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. It's on the radio, it's on podcasts. You can find that also at chassidusapplied.com. So here's the question. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I'm trying to understand the difference between the Sholosh Klippas Atmeis and Klippas Noiga. So there's two categories that the Alter Rebbe speaks about in chapter 6 and then 7 in Tanya, which is exactly where I'm up to. So I thought this would be a good way to connect the two. And I'll be speaking about it this coming Mitzvah Shabbos, this coming Saturday night. The difference between the two. I think I understand the three negative clippers. They are things we shouldn't touch or participate in because they will always have negative effects. But can we say clippers is something that has neutral energy and can be used for good or bad, depending on how we use it. Could money be an example of klipas neiga? Because we can use money for mitzvahs for buy, or by buying svarim, books, holy books, or giving stock a charity. But money also has the potential for averis, for sins, if someone uses it to buy improper things. Thank you for your explanations. So the question is actually addressed in Tanya, in the chapters I just mentioned, 6 and 7. And he says clearly the two categories. The Sholosh Klippas Atmeas are the three thick Klippas. When I say thick, because Klippa means like a husk, where that's off limits. Is the Dvorim Asurim. As the Alter Rebbe says, the word Asur means bound. It's something as the enemy has control over. What is the enemy? The, the forces of the egocentric conscious forces, consciousness forces in this world that focus on themselves. But not just on themselves. Completely defying God. So anything in that category, the things the Torah says are forbidden, prohibited, is off limits. Then there are things that are dvarim mutarim. Mutarim means that they're not bound, they're not controlled, they're not held hostage by the enemy. Then there's mitzvahs, things that you must do. You're told, you're commanded to do. The in-between, things that are permissible, called rishus, they're allowed. You mentioned money, food, drink, walking down the street. These are not mitzvahs, they're not averis. They're not sins and they're not mitzvahs. You can do it both ways. You can use it towards something positive. You can walk down the street and think Torah or, do, or, or meet somebody and do the favor for a person. You can use money, as you said, for charity or for good purposes. Or you can use it for selfish purposes or for destructive ones. So klipas noiga is called literally the illuminated or the bright klipa. Why? Because it's still a klipa it's still a shell. It's not purely holiness, like a mitzvah, but it's a translucent one. It's transparent, which means like more of a, not a thick, like a nutshell, but like the shell of, let's say, of, a, of, a, um, of the peel of a grape. So you can actually see through it. You can even see the fruit through it at times. So it's a shell, but the shell can go either way. It can be either used for something that's appropriate, and then you elevate it to Kedusha, that's when the call Masakal Hashem Shemayim So you take something which is completely neutral, but you eat, you eat the food, you eat the meal, Lashem Shemayim, for the purpose of serving God, for getting stronger to be able to do a mitzvah and so on. 
Or the other way around, they use the energy of the food to do something destructive, but then it descends at least temporarily into the world of this Sholosh Klippus Atmeus. For more elaboration, I suggest listening to Tanya Applied, which again is on Saturday night, Matzai Shabbos at 10 p.m. And you could also watch the archives, just go to tanyaapply.com or chsidisapply.com. And with that, we conclude this week's episode 396, which is, uh, as we said, the conclusion of the month of other. Next Shabbos will be Rosh Chedesh Nissen. So remember, time is energy. And when we use the energy and we access it and we tap into it, we actually can transform our lives and the lives of all those around us. May we use this energy of other, of Simcha Joy, Simcha Peretz Geder, that transcends all boundaries and all limitations, and indeed march into redemption, personal and global redemption. And personal and global redemption, which is connected to the month of Geula, of the month of Nisan, in the form of, even if necessary, Nisan, and the word Nisei Nisim, many miracles. And we'll talk about that as well in the coming weeks. Everyone should have a continued joyous uh, uh, month of Adar, and we already say a question of Freilich and Pesach, Passover, because we're already 30 days, it's less than 30 days to Passover. We begin to prepare for Passover 30 days before. And may, may, may life in general be one of total freedom and redemption in every possible way, materially, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, and in all abundance, materially and spiritually as well, with great joy and great freedom. Be well, everyone, and we're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m., My Life Chassidus Applied. Thank you. This program is brought to you by My Life Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.